Welcome, everyone, to episode 32 of Dads on the Fly. I am Caleb, joined alongside by my brother, Joshua. And we, Joshua, I I just can't believe the fact that we get to talk to this person that is on this week's episode. Um, We're really excited. Tonight, we interview Mr. Jim Klug of Yellow Dog Fly Fishing. And for those of you who don't know, Yellow Dog Fly Fishing is a company. They're based out of Bozeman, Montana. They uh, specialize in getting you connected with uh, different destinations and fly fishing adventures. So they're, they're, the, they're the experts in fly fishing destination travel. Yes, their uh, website is yellowdogflyfishing.com. And we get the opportunity in this week's episode to interview uh their founder and um founder and director founder and director of operations mr jim klug so i just want to read his bio to you and let you know all about mr jim founder and director of operations for bozeman montana based yellow dog fly fishing adventures jim began working in the fly fishing industry at the age of 14 over the years he has worked as a guide sales rep travel coordinator and is past national sales manager for scientific anglers He's guided extensively in Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, and Oregon, and has fished throughout the world in over 50 different countries. In 1999, Jim founded Yellow Dog, a fly fishing booking and travel company that has grown to become one of the largest and most recognized entities in supporting travel. As Yellow Dog's director, Jim spends a lot of time scouting and researching destinations throughout the world. Aside from his ongoing work with Yellow Dog, Jim is also the co-founder of Confluence Films, a film production company that created the fishing movies Drift, Rise, Connect, Waypoints, and Providence. In 2017, Jim was awarded the American Museum of Fly Fishing's Isaac Walton Award, given out once a year to honor and celebrate individuals who live by the complete angler philosophy. The award recognizes a passion for the sport of fly fishing and involvement in the angling community that provides inspiration for others and promotes the legacy of leadership for future generations. In 2018, Jim was the recipient of the annual Lefty Cray Industry Leadership Award, presented to one individual each year by the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. Jim's writing and photos appeared in numerous magazines and publications, and his photo work and galleries can be viewed at www.klugphotos.com. That's K-L-U-G photos.com. Fly Fishing Belize is Jim's first full-length book project, and Jim lives in Bozeman, Montana with his wife, Hillary, and children, Carson, Finn, and Gus. And we are just thrilled to have him on the podcast. And we're going to talk to Jim. It's pretty impressive. And so we're going to dive into that interview. But before we do, let us know what you think about tonight's interview. We are just so grateful to continue to hear from each one of you about being dads on the fly. And we are just so grateful to get the opportunity to continue to do this podcast. Again, when we started this podcast six months ago, eight, I guess eight months ago now, Joshua. Yeah. I never thought it would bring us to the opportunities to interview a guy like Jim, and so here we are. We do want to let everybody know in this episode, uh, towards the beginning, we were we were having a little trouble with uh, reception from Jim. Um, he was all the way in Bozeman, and we had a couple of Wi-Fi snafus, but as the, inter- as the interview progresses, the audio quality really picks up, so uh, bear with us on that at the beginning, guys. Um, keep uh, giving us those comments and questions and shout-outs, uh, and we look forward to this episode. It was Such a fun time to talk to Jim. All right, let's dive in with our interview with Mr. Jim Klug of Yellow Dog Fly Fishing.
right, guys. So here we are with Mr. Jim Klug. And uh, Jim, you know, your bio says you started in the fly fishing industry at 14 years old, uh, which I found just pretty remarkable. I think I was just cutting grass at 14. So uh, how did you get started in the fly fishing industry at 14? Were you from Montana? Did you grow up there? You know, actually, I grew up in Oregon, in central Oregon. Um, and just uh, you know, had a grandfather who introduced me to fishing, really kind of developed the love for it. And when I was a teenager, I, I uh, could definitely cut plenty of lawns as well. But I was lucky enough to to find a, a summertime gig at a local fly shop in Bend, Oregon called the Fly Box back in the day. And uh, that was my my first start in the, in the fly fishing industry and worked there for many summers. And uh, that eventually led to a, a career as an apprentice guide with a, a great outfitter out in Oregon who really, you know, mentored me and, and spent time kind of showing me the ropes on, on how to guide, how to roll whitewater, um, how to find fish, how to uh, work with people. And he was wonderful. He really kind of set me down the path professionally in this industry. And from there, it led to many more years of guiding throughout the West. Um, I became a sales rep for a number of different fly fishing manufacturers and uh, then eventually got into the world of travel. And, and about uh, almost 23 years ago, started Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. So it's been an interesting ride from literally sweeping the floors at, uh, at the local fly shop to now getting to kind of travel the world and explore amazing places. It's been a, a great journey. Journey. So that kind of leads into my my next question was, where did Yellow Dog, was Yellow Dog like an idea in your head that you just got one day and it's kind of a vision that just grew into more? Or, I mean, it's so successful, guys. If you haven't checked it out, our listeners, you, you got to go check out Yellow Dog Fly Fishing's website. And, you know, hopefully here in a second, we're going to talk to Jim about some trips and stuff or options. But just how did that all come about? You know, it, it uh, came about from a, a love of exploring new places and the amazing places that fly fishing takes you. Um, I got bit early on by the saltwater bug and, and was guiding out West and would work all summer and save my guide tips. And if I scraped enough together, my buddy Ian Davis and a few others, uh, and Ian's now my business partner, Yellow Dog. But back in the day, we were all just, you know, half broke fish bums, you know, saving our guide tips. And we would sneak off at the end of the season to Andros and rent a house and try to fish on our own and figure it out. And, and uh, you know, just got that saltwater bug. And that led to more and more trips and spending time in these places. And eventually led me to Belize, the country of Belize, where um, I was spending a really good chunk of time. And my, my great friend, uh, Logan Gentry, who had just bought a lodge called El Pescador, which was one of the oldest lodges in Belize, um, Logan sat me down one time and said, man, you are sending a lot of people our way through referrals and, uh, you know, buddies that are coming down and, and, you know, buddies, dads that were looking for information. He's like, I added it up and you're doing a, a, a lot. And, uh, you know, you really ought to think about formalizing this and maybe starting a booking company. And, and I thought about that and said, no way there, there are some really big companies out there. There is no room, you know, in that field, it's crowded, it's saturated. Uh, I have zero interest, but like anything else, you know, you start thinking about it and you look at it and, and there were a lot of really famous, well-established, you know, companies that have been in the game for a long time, but I looked at it and I, I thought there was some opportunity there to do things a little differently, maybe with a little different level of customer service and attention to detail. And that was the start of Yellow Dog. Our first couple of years, uh, it was a, a two-man show, or I should say a two-creature uh, show. It was myself and the actual Yellow Dog. And all we did was four lodges in Belize. When we started, we were small. And from there, we've grown and, and added more destinations and obviously a, a lot more people. Um, we now have a, a staff of 28 here in Bozeman, Montana. We work uh, 
I think it's uh, about 248 different lodges and, and offerings in 29 different countries. So uh, it's definitely grown over the years. It's been a heck of a ride. And uh, I'm, I'm super grateful every day for uh, you know the, uh, the opportunities I've had and what this industry has done for me. So what do you, what do you attribute to, to your success? The fact that makes you guys different from some of those other companies, because I mean, you're right. There's a lot of different uh, booking companies out there, but you know, you go on, this is just from checking you out online and seeing what you guys are about. There is something very different about you guys. And uh, so what, what do you think attributes your success, your growth there? You know, it, it, it's, this sounds a little bit hokey, but this is something we, we talk about all the time with our team. And it's, you know, we call it the, the give a damn factor. And that, yeah. you know, in the beginning, when, when I was working with a handful of clients, um, you know, they literally had the feeling that I cared so much about their trips because I was, you know, they might've been my only client. And back in the day, you know, that wasn't far from the truth, but we've, we've tried to stay true to that over the years where we want every single person that works with yellow dog to come away with that feeling. And, and we do, we have an incredible team of people that are obviously super experienced in the destinations. They're technically proficient, you know, they've got great attention to detail, but everybody at yellow dog and that whole team dynamic really kind of fosters this, um, this attitude of, of really caring about people's trips. And, you know, we recognize that we're in a business that, you know, people are, are brought to destination England because of their passion for fishing. For, for the vast majority of our clients, the most important element that we're dealing with is their time. And we have to owe that and we have to respect that or that if they're doing this once a year or twice a year that that things are as perfect as they can be on all things that can what the fish are going to do and how they're going to behave or what the weather is going to do but there's a lot of things we can control and you know the fact is i you know to answer your question about what sets us apart i think we have a, an incredible dynamic with our, our yellow dog team and it's a group of people that truly care they you know we have a, a very strong ethos about delivering the ultimate customer experience and i think when you hear the term customer service it always you know, I, I think it's a little devalued these days because put it this way, it, it's it's what we focus on. But when you hear, you know, a giant airline, a low cost airline or the cable company talk about customer service, you laugh, right? You obviously laugh because that's just not true. They don't care. Um, and so when we talk about customer service, we actually have to back it up. And, and we, we spend a lot more time focusing on the overall customer experience rather than just the cliche concept of, oh, we deliver great customer service. It's how can we take that customer experience from the very first touch point when they come to Yellow Dog to the trip planning process, to the deployment on the trip, to you know going out, spending a great time at the lodge, coming back, the follow-up. That whole thing constitutes the customer experience. That's what really everybody's focused on. That's huge. It sounds like you guys really do a good job of trying to think about what it's like from the customer's point of view and uh, really try to put yourself in their shoes. And uh, I think that's really what helps make you be so successful. So thank you guys for doing that. I mean, like I said. Well, I can't think. I mean, I don't think it. I think it says enough that the owner of this huge business is willing to sit down and talk to us dudes. I mean, to me, that, that <laughs> says enough. So if he's willing to come on the dads on the fly podcast and all of the people who work for him or anything like him, you know, they're going to be some awesome people to hang out with. 
I mean, well, I, I love the concept of what you guys are doing. I mean, I, you know, I have three young kids and, and they, you know, drive everything, right. They, yeah. they are our reason for going to work in the day and for getting outside and, and spending time together as a family. And, and uh, when I learned about what you guys are doing, I, I think it's great. I think it is, is such an incredibly important topic these days. And, um, you know, if, if I know you guys are obviously this way, but I'm sure a lot of your listeners are too. I mean, everything that you do typically revolves around your children, right? Yeah. Your, your outdoor time, your time on the water, you know, why you work, um, you know, your, you know, to strive for success in, in, in your professional, um, you know, life, all of that comes right back to family and, and to kids. So I, I think it's great. I think it's a, That's a great point. Uh, theme that you guys have put together. If it wasn't for family and kids, we might just, pack up and start yeah we'd be doing way <laughs> more yellow some more trips, fishes, yeah. um, <laughs> so uh let, let's talk a little bit about specific trips i don't want to go too specific but you know I, i've been on your website enough to know where my budget can and can't afford me going in the future based on you know what i do as a school teacher and stuff and we have a wide range of listeners what would you say would be your best trip jim who, who who's done it all for for a family and i've listened to some of your episodes i know some of your lodgers like really geared toward families giving everybody something to do but if you were going to go on your first just trip with your family somewhere different what's a good like budget starter how many days that kind of deal i know that's a really loaded question but yeah that that, that's a tough question to answer but i'll I'll definitely give it a try And, and first of all um Kudos to you for being a teacher. Um, I'm I'm married to one. My wife is a, is a high school teacher, and uh, it's it's a amazing profession. And uh, I, I wish every day I had the patience that she does. I don't know how you guys do it. I teach eighth grade. I teach eighth grade social studies, my man. So this is my 14th right. year in middle school. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, you guys are you guys are amazing. I'm glad you're here, especially after these last couple of years. It just shows how important teachers are. But um, you know, one of the the things that we've always um, tried to incorporate it into our offerings. And, and it gets back to what I was, you know, talking about a moment ago about saving our guide tips and getting out there is, um, you know, we try to have trips that really fit every budget and, and every kind of scenario. We have, you know, what I call the, the dirt bag, you know, trout trips that were, you know, are geared towards me back in the day when we would save up our, our tips and try to get out there and get some some bone fishing in. Um, we have great family trips um, on our website and our catalog. We actually dedicate um, pretty specific sections to family trips and to couples trips because we realize that again, talking about people's you know the value of their time, vacation time is limited for people, and and we don't always have the luxury, especially when you have families and, and young kids, of saying. All right, honey, I'm going off with the boys, you know, or with my buddies for two weeks and doing a guy's trip and I'm going fishing. We'll see you. I mean, we don't know, you know, not everyone can do that. So we understand that a lot of times people are looking for a, a family oriented destination where they can you know, take non anglers, take young kids, older kids, whatever it may be, have lots for them to see and do. And at the same time, have access to great fishing because so many times you see these beach resorts or wherever it may be. And people are like, oh, yeah, you can fish and the fishing experience is just lame, right? I mean, you're sacrificing the quality of fishing in order to please the family. And what we've tried to do is put together a number of destinations where you don't have to do that. It can be a win-win for everybody where the family, the kids, that your non-fishing spouse or fishing spouse, wherever it may be, has something to do. And the angler in the group can go out and find, you know, really first-rate fishing with professional, legitimate guides. Um, some of our favorite places are, are uh, you know, saltwater-wise are, are Belize, and the Bahamas. Um, 
Um, they've got a number of great lodges and destinations that um, have really good price points. I, I would call them high value destinations. And also plenty for the non-anglers in a family to do. And they also happen to be great places where, let's say you have young kids, where you want to take them out and, and show them a good time on the water. Now, we all know from being dads, you can't take your kid to the Henry's Fork in June and go to the railroad ranch and he's 10 years old and, you know, put a, a five weight in his hand with seven X tip it and be like, all right, son, this is really fun. You're yeah. not going to catch anything. <laughs> yeah. um, the fish are the toughest out there, but you know, this is how you have to learn. Like that, you want to turn a kid off a of fly fish and that's the way to do it. So you focus on places where you can go and with kids, especially it's all about catching. Right. And some of my favorite things to do, would with my kids and I still, you know, my youngest is 10, my oldest is 15. You know, when they were really little, six, seven, we would take them to some of these places. We would go out with the guides and we'd say, Hey, let's go find like some mudding bonefish. Let's go to a place where they can roll cast, you know, a seven or eight weight out there, let the fly sink. They can strip on their own and hook up and, you know, get those two, three pound bonefish out of the muds. And that's great. And, and that's how you, I, in my opinion, how you really develop a, a early love of fly fishing with kids. You got to take them someplace where they're going to catch fish. They're going to be engaged. Otherwise, kids are like, man, fly fishing is boring. We went out. I didn't catch anything. You know, it was tough. I don't like this. And, and you want to turn a kid off of fishing forever. Take them to the wrong place to begin with. Yeah, that's we've had. Uh, we've talked about our on our podcast before. Sometimes, you know, you fish for an hour then they throw the rocks because ours are still pretty little in the hole and ruin yeah. that and then we move on to the next hole and that's just kind of how we sometimes have to fish the mountain streams here but they yeah. they always have smiles on their faces and hold fish and they're happy as all get out well, so. it's kind of like you said it's it's making experience that they can have fun e- either way you know we want to try to get them on fish obviously but at the same time uh I mean, you just said like the Belize of the Bahamas. If you can't find something fun to do down there then you know other than the fish that's probably a problem yeah, and you know, when you ask your young kids if they want to go fishing, you want the answer to be absolutely, because every time they go out with you, they equate that to fun, whether it's skipping rocks or, you know, building sandcastles or playing in the mud or building a fort. And then, you know, dad hooks up and kid runs over and he lands the fish for you. That <laughs> kind of, you know, that's all part of the, the fun. That's, for that's where that's we're at. That's pretty much where we're at right now, for sure. Totally. Um, we've, all, we've all been there with kids. Yeah, for sure. sure. We're gonna we're gonna take a break, but uh, I want to make sure and ask two more questions before we get going. Um, before we get our break, first of all, I, I want to encourage our listeners because we are a podcast and they listen to us to go check out the Waypoints podcast. Um, I, it is, as you can tell, Caleb Jim is a charismatic, cool dude, and he ha- and he hosts it, and he gets these really cool dudes. And, and I can't say enough about, I'm a podcast junkie, and the quality, the most recent episode with the lady who spoke about handling fish just was awesome. Listen to that one, I think, like last night. But there's a couple episodes in there where you can find your dream trip, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I have now understood, and I even told my wife after listening to Jim's podcast, we should have been born in Argentina. Like, <laughs> They eat dinner at nine o'clock. They don't go to bed until 11. They take midday. Like that is mine and my wife's happy place. Yes. That would be if we didn't have nine to five, eight to three jobs, that would be what we would do. And I now know that Argentina is my happy place. Thanks to Mr. Jim. So I just want to say thanks for that podcast, man. If you want to say anything else about it or how you got around it, but it's a, it's a great podcast. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. We're, we're on somewhere between 40 and 50 episodes uh, so far. And, 
Um, we have a lot of fun doing it because, you know, this industry is so full of interesting people, great stories, amazing destinations, um, great profiles. And, and yeah, if, if you love um, the places the fishing takes you and, you and you love destination angling, it's, a I think, a super relevant um, podcast. Uh, it's Waypoints. It's on um, all, all the platforms, Apple, um, you know, Spotify. Um, you can go to the yellow dog fly fishing.com website and, and find it there. But yeah, we're, uh, but we're even if you're out the episodes, even if you're not going on a big trip, I would say, yeah. man, there's some really high quality, like the episode you did with the, uh, the man. And I, I can't remember his name. I can't recall him. That talked about the first aid kits and like how, like yeah. just the, just the being safe in the water. Like that episode yeah. was really appealing to me just to make sure you have all this stuff on hand. And, and so, I mean, I just would say, look guys, if you're not flying out next month or whatever, it's still a great resource to go just find out because these people, they do this all the time and Jim's all over the country and all over the world fishing and he can, all this advice he gives in episodes is really good. So just wanted to plug that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about some of Jim's fishing stories. I'm sure he has a lot, but maybe we'll try to break them down to maybe dad fishing stories. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Dads on the Fly. We wanted to take a minute to take a break and let you know about something really exciting taking place with the Dads on the Fly community. So Joshua, tell them a little bit more about that. So on Thursday, April the 7th at 6.30 p.m., we're going to have what we're calling a fly tying hangout at a local establishment here in Canton, Bearwaters Brewery, and uh, come by, get some food, and uh, just hang out with us. And we're just going to talk about fly fishing. And we're going to tie some flies. Bring your stuff if you got it. And uh, come tie some flies with us and just hang out. That's what we just wanted to do. It's what we love about the fly fishing community. And so we hope that some people can come chill with us that evening. Yeah, so this is an opportunity for us to just hang out and get to know each other. So if you are local in Western North Carolina and want to come join us, we're going to be at 101 West Park Street, Canton. That's Bearwaters Brewing Company, Riverside. And we would love to get the opportunity to meet you, just hang out and chat and talk about fly fishing, doing like what we do on this podcast. Uh, it's going to be a real chill night. Uh, we're going to have a room available where we're going to just hang out. You can order some food, order some drinks. It is a great space. And we're just going to hang out and tie some flies together. So bring your stuff if you got it. There's not going to be any professionals there yet, unless you include Joshua in that. And so, no, but there <laughs> will be the opportunity to hear some stories. Absolutely, because we will have just been returned from our from from our big first trip out west. So come by and chat, hang out with us. Nothing else. Even if you don't tie flies, just come chill. Absolutely. It is going to be a great time. So we would love to see you there April 7th at 6.30 p.m. at Bearwaters Brewing in Canton for the first of what we hope will be many Dads on the Fly fly tying hangout. We would love to see you then. Without further ado, let's jump back into today's episode. And we are back, guys, with Jim Klug. Jim, I think the first thing that uh, I want to ask before we talk about your fishing is we started fly fishing. I don't know if you know our whole story. We started fly fishing nine years ago, mainly trout bums. That's what we are. We live right here. And, but we consider, you know you're in Montana, and it is pretty awesome in Montana, we've heard. But we consider trout North Carolina to be pretty awesome where we live. Maybe a little different size trout we stalk, but it's definitely what we love to do. But we are interested now that we've kind of entered into this fly fishing community world with our podcast to uh, to get to saltwater at some point. 
So as an experienced angler that you are, what would your advice be on where to start our saltwater adventure? Oh, that, that's a good question. And, you know, such a big world. Um, I think breaking that down a little more, like anywhere to start your adventure is, is wherever you're going to find yourself. Because if there's water around, there's there's probably something that lives in it, right? And whether it's, you know, streams in your own backyard or something that is across the county or across the state, you know, that, that can be a great adventure. Um, obviously, I, I think that a lot of times people get so amped to jump right into these international destinations, you overlook so much of what's here in the U.S. I mean, we have you know, incredible saltwater fishing from the Keys to the coast of Louisiana to Texas. You've got amazing fishing in New England. You've got, you know, all the Western fishing and, of course, you know, fishing in your backyard there for, you know, great trout fishing. So there's so much. And, and I, I've always been in the philosophy that, you know, wherever you can, you know, travel to, bring a fly rod because you probably find something to fish for. Um, but, you know, to your question on saltwater, um, I think really probably the, the best places to start. I'm, I'm a huge fan of starting in Belize and the Bahamas. Uh, and I would put the Yucatan in there as well. Yucatan is great because it's so easy to travel to Cancun. You can fly there from just about anywhere in the country for not a lot of money. Great value. Get, uh, you know, whether it's a week or, you know, two or three days in a place like Ascension Bay you're going to find fish. Uh, but but really those three, Bahamas, Belize, the Yucatan, um, there's everything from super high-end, five-star deluxe resorts to very basic kind of high-value, well-priced, all-inclusive lodges where you're not going to break the bank going. Uh, and those, you know, I would start really w- with what we consider the big three for saltwater, Bahamas, Belize, Yucatan. Easy to travel to, you know, lots of, of value in those places in a range of, of different lodge and outfitting offerings from, again, from the high end to the entry level price point wise. But what all three of those have in common is they have great infrastructure, meaning they have really well-established lodges. They've got seasoned professional, oftentimes multi-generational guides. So you're going to find not just great fishing opportunities or habitat where, you know, bonefish, permit, tarpon, snook, those types of species live, but you're going to find guides that know how to put you onto those fish and also know how to teach you and instruct you and get you in the game right off the bat. And that's, that's huge. If you're just getting started or, or looking for kind of that first time saltwater experience. I love it. Jo- Joshua will be planning our trip uh, next year pretty soon. <laughs> I'm sure. So he, he is the trip planner. And as you say those things, he's, oh, he's sure. just sitting here taking a lot of notes yeah. well, of where we're going. Thanks to, <laughs> thanks to Jim's website company and his podcast. If I hit the lottery, I have my trips like rated <laughs> already. So don't you worry. We are. If anything ever happens, don't we'll we know where to go. Um, so let's talk about you fishing. I mean, I know you oh, you got one more thing. Yeah, I got I got okay, one last sorry. thing before we get a little bit more into your story, Jim. So we're actually taking our uh, oh, yeah, that's right. This is our first trip. Josh and I are actually leaving in nine days. We're in single digits. Uh, when this records though. Yeah, oh yeah, when this drops, we'll be within four days. Four days this of is leaving. dropping on Monday. Yeah, so drop next Monday. And uh for our first uh, having to take, I mean, I would say like long distance destination fly fishing trip. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like we're going too far, but we're going, we're flying we're, into we're Salt fly, Lake. We're flying. Yeah. yeah. We're flying out West from, from here. So for us, it's a pretty big thing and uh, we're pretty pumped it's about pretty it. It's pretty huge for us. Yeah. Yeah. We're super stoked. <laughs> so tips for folks who are traveling, 
you know, flying with fly fishing gear, fly fishing equipment, you know, uh, you guys do a lot of that, obviously. I'm sure you get lots of questions about it from folks that are bringing, you know, flies, rods, gear. I mean, I'm, I know you're, you're the most of the lodges probably provide most of that, but uh, just tips for anything like that for, for traveling with your fly fishing gear. Cause that uh, I'll be honest yeah. with you, I'm nervous about it. No, that's a great question. And that's when we get a lot. Where, where are you guys heading? So we're actually heading to, uh, we'll be flying from Asheville to Salt Lake City. And uh, we're going to be fishing in the Green River and uh, Southwest nice. Wyoming. Nice. That's a great fishery. You're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, it's a good time of year to be there for sure. Um, you know, so that's probably the biggest question we get on a daily basis from lots and lots of clients is, is how to properly travel with equipment. Um, and it's a good question because it kind of depends on where you're going. Domestically, you're you're pretty good bringing equipment with you if you want to carry it on, meaning rods, reels, fly lines, those you can fly with domestically without any problems. Now, international destinations, there are certain countries where they will not let you carry those things onto the plane. And if you originate, let's say you're going to someplace in Africa and you fly out of the US, you can carry it no problem. But in transit or when you're passing through different security points, they may not let you continue on with it. And for that reason, I always tell people that, you know, it's a pretty good idea to check stuff, you know, protect it in your checked luggage. But when I'm, whenever I'm flying international, I put my rods, reels, everything's well packed, padded, protected, and I check it and I go. Um, if you're flying domestically, however, carry on what you can. Things you don't want to carry on, um, the majority of your flies should be checked. Again, you'll probably get through if you have flies in your carry-on. But here's the problem is that, as we all know from flying and, and traveling with TSA, you get one TSA agent who happens to be working the line, you go through, and they're having a bad morning, yeah. or they just you know want to make an issue of something – you can't argue with them. You can't yeah. tell them they're wrong. And, and for that reason, if in doubt, check it. Um, bring, you know, your rods and reels domestically. That's fine. But tools, especially forceps, pliers, obviously knives, you know, things that you're going to take in your kit, check all of that stuff. Um, you know, if, if you can carry stuff on. But again, you know, when you're going domestically, you're probably going to an area where, let's say, worst case scenario, your luggage got lost. And that, that doesn't happen as much anymore as it used to domestically. Now these airlines have it pretty dialed in. Uh, but you would be able to go to a local fly shop and, and kit yourself out, whether you rented stuff, borrowed stuff, bought some stuff, you'd be able to find it. It becomes more of an issue when you're going to a far off destination where they don't have anything. Let's say you're going to Cuba or you're going to someplace in Africa or someplace in South America. They don't have anything. So you need to bring it and you need to make sure it gets there with you. So that becomes a whole different conversation. But yeah, you know, uh, Think about what you, you're going to need when you get there. Um, two pieces of advice. I, I'm a big fan of lists. We're, we're big proponents of, of pre-trip planning materials, and we send out lists for every destination that is specific to that fishery. So go through that list and, and figure out what you need. Make sure you have it with you. Um, two, don't overpack. You know, you don't need to bring every, you don't bring the kitchen sink with you, right? Um, especially if you're going to a place, again, where there's fly shops and you can reprovision. So don't overpack, but um, just make sure you know where you're going and, and you have uh, what you need. The last thing I'll say is if you're headed to a destination like in the U.S. West where there are local fly shops, they're going to be experts on the river or the fisheries that you're visiting. So first stop should be the fly shop. Buy your license, buy some flies, spend some money with the specialty fly shops because they all you know appreciate the business and pick their brain. 
you know, where to camp, where to fish, you know, what's working, what's hatching, what's been going on the last couple of days. It's the most invaluable source of information you'll find is your local fly shop, your specialty fly shop. So that should always be the first stop on a trip. If, if, if that exists where you're going, go there. It just says a lot about, you know, your business that you're, how you're supporting those local shops and just says even more about what we've talked about already. We've, we're big proponents of local shops. We've done, uh, we just got done doing a guide series um, with local shops in our area, local guides trying to promote those guys and their knowledge for the area. And so uh, we're big proponents of that and we couldn't agree more. Yeah. So let's talk about Jim's fishing. <laughs> if for you, and you kind of hit on this a little bit, but your kids are older now. So or well, 10, you said the youngest one's 10. So they're a little bit older. So if yeah. you're, if you're getting a fishing trip for the family, yeah, where, where do you, I guess you would have to give us a domestic and an international, but just where would yeah. you like to take your kid? Like, where do you like to take your kids? And then I'm going to ask you separately when it's just you, where, where do you want to go? So <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, that, that's, that's pretty easy. Um, so, you know, I, I want to take my kids wherever they're going to have fun and they're going to, again, equate that fishing experience with having a great time so that it, it builds that love and they want to keep doing it. Um, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm not going to take in the most difficult fishery out there and turn them loose and say, Hey, good luck. We'll meet up at the end of the day and hear how you did. Um, you know, we fish a lot throughout the West. We love camping. We love, you know, traveling around and, and getting out on, on local waters or, you know, whether it's in Montana or nearby Idaho or Wyoming, any place we can go and, and fish, you know, with the kids is great. Um, I think places that are, are really, really good are, are, are places where they're going to find some success and enjoy what they're doing. I've uh, been fortunate enough through our connections to um, take all of my kids at, at pretty young ages, starting at like six, seven years old up to Alaska. And I, I tell you, there is no place better to catch lots of fish than Alaska. And if you want to do a really incredible family trip, and yeah, it's it's a little bit higher budget, um, but Alaska is amazing. And not only are you catching fish, you, you know, you're in this incredibly wild place that you can't even believe is a part of the U.S. Um, chances are good you've taken a float plane to get in there. You know, you've got, you know, the big brown bears walking the banks all around you. Um, you know, the salmon are running the rivers, turning the river red. And, and, you know, to experience that, I think, as, as, a, as a young person, you want to talk about developing a love for wild places and the outdoors and adventure, it's pretty hard to beat Alaska. Um, we've also taken our kids down to Central America and Mexico um, on some great family trips and, and done some really fun bone fishing um, and, you know, baby tarpon fishing and things like that. And they, they really enjoy that. But, you know, we're just as happy taking the drift boat out on the, on the Yellowstone or the Madison here in, in Montana, you know, when the hoppers are out and things are, are really going off, that that's a great time for the kids. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's, well, I guess there is a wrong answer. And again, it gets back to taking kids to a place that you might really love because you love the challenge and the difficulty of it. Maybe not great for a six or eight or 10 year old. So just, you know, think about that, but there are a lot of places where you go and it might be a, you know, a stocked pond, you know, close to home where they can go out and, and put a bend in the rod and enjoy some success of landing a fish and kind of seeing all the whole process come together. So I don't think there's a wrong answer as long as they're, you know, you're getting them outside, getting them away from the screens yeah. and uh, you know, letting them, you know, get a, a taste of, of what it's all about. Absolutely. And 
you said the easy, I guess the easy question would be, you know where you're going when it's just you and the boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I always, I, I get asked a lot, like my favorite destination. And my answer is usually the, the last place I just got back from. I was in Chile a couple of weeks ago, just got back from that trip that, you know, South America is amazing. Um, headed uh, down to the Yucatan next week um, in April. We'll be down in Cuba again, which I love. Um, it's one of my very, very favorite places to fish, not just because of the, the flats and the species down there, because of the people and the culture. It's just Cuba's an incredible I just, country. I just go yeah. back to this again. He was not at my career day. When, when I, you, know, you know what I mean? Like he, he was not there when I, when I was going to career day in high school, there was no, Hey, I, I uh, run a, <laughs> there, there was no person like this there. That would be a game changer um, for people, but it's awesome what you do, man. But it's, it's, it's cool that, you. you know, I can say, Hey, I think Jim has this really cool job, but it's even cooler just to sit down and finally talk to you and say, wow, he, he's genuine. Like you're genuine at what you're about and what yellow dogs about. You can tell just, you guys that are that. listening aren't seeing Jim sitting here talking to us, but he's genuine as they get, and it's it's been awesome. Um, Caleb's got something. Let's see. So I want to hear. So you're telling us, you know, your favorite place is the last place yeah. you went. You have a you have a favorite memory from a certain place, though. Certain fish, certain thing that just every time you get asked, you you get it goes back to that story. Yeah, you know, it's funny enough. Most of my like most memorable fishing trips have been with my kids. You know you know, seeing my youngest son, you know, cast, set, you know, hook, play, land, you know, a a 26 inch rainbow, you know, on the Kulik river in Alaska, all on his own where I'm standing there watching that. I mean, those are the things that are are by far the most memorable fish for me is, is ones that my, my, my kids have caught. Um, other times it's, you know, being with great friends, um, I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in the Indian Ocean over the last 15 or so years, the Seychelles, um, Mauritius, places like that. Those are special places. And, you know, every trip is always made better with the company that that you're enjoying it with. And, and these days, most of my travel, uh, even the stuff I'm, you know, we're doing exploratory trips, trying to, you know, maybe vet or scout out new destinations. Usually I've got a couple of buddies that I travel with pretty regularly. We spend time out there together and, no, that's just great. Um, I, it's hard to be. Those are the memories that, you know, you rarely remember th- what you caught. It's, it's more about who you were with and, and you know, the conversations you had. And, you know, certainly, you know, some memorable action when it comes to you know, hooking a special fish or seeing something crazy that you've never seen before. Those are the, the memories you take away from it. But, yeah, it's, it's all good. I You know, I, there's a great quote that a, a buddy of ours, Travis Peterson, is one of our, our uh, operators up in Southeast Alaska, said, and he, he said, you know, never let the fishing get in the way of a great fishing trip. And I think that's so well said, because again, you can't control what the fish are going to do. And if you're someone who is, is going on a destination, whether it's with your family or with your buddies or as a solo angler, and you are so wrapped up and catching, 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 and, you know, counting fish to numbers and, and how good it is, why like why why are you doing that because the the most memorable trips rarely revolve around what you caught it's about where you were who you were with what you saw crazy things you experienced and you know if you and i've i've learned this over the years and, and I, I i'm convinced this is 100 percent true and at the you know with the 10,000 clients plus that we work with a year you know the the most laid back easygoing people not only are the ones that have the best trips and have the most fun, 
they inevitably always catch the most fish. And it's always the people that are like so high strung and amped up and just want it so, so, so bad. They can't stand it. And they put that above everything else. They're always the ones that seem to struggle. I, I, I mean, it's just, there's just a direct correlation on that. And I just think the right attitude and, you know, going out and, and appreciating the places that this sport takes us and enjoying the people you're spending time with and, you know, just being grateful for the, the, the opportunities that you have and going to these places. You know, if you go in with that mindset and you're, you know, you're, you're happy and you're nice and you're open-minded, which is so important in international travel, right? When you're dealing with different cultures and things that may be out of your daily comfort zone, but you go in with that right attitude, you can't help but not only have a great trip and come back with amazing memories, but you know, you're going to find that everybody you interact with along the way, whether it's the guides, the staff at the lodge, the other guests that happen to be at the same destination, everyone responds well to that. And your, your takeaways are just incrementally better. Yeah, we talk about that all the time, and especially as as you kind of, I, I think as you evolve into fly fishing, you know, eventually at the beginning when you first get started, it's all about catching fish and all about the numbers. But the more yeah. we do it, it it just seems like it is definitely way more about the people. You know, it kind of it brings you back to that uh, Henry David Thoreau quote of many men go fishing all their lives without knowing it's not fish that they're after. And that's right. I, I think that's so true, and you know, it is yeah. so much. I, I have more joy now taking other people fishing than I do catching a ton of fish by myself. Um, I have as much yeah. fun taking, you know, friends, relative. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love it. I still love to go, but uh, yeah. I have so much fun taking other people and watching them have a good time. Um, we just and, bought and a raft and we just bought a raft in December that, that we bought together so we can start exploring more waters. And uh, Caleb's really good at, rowing the raft so we just let him row a lot because he likes it so uh he's, yeah, he's kind of found, fun, found a really it's, good it's niche. A niche yeah and and i really like to fish so it's, it's been a good relationship so far we, we've done good. I, I can already see this caleb where, where you're like yeah this is funny judge was like you know this this rowing thing i just can't seem to get it like it doesn't okay I'm not that's what's it. happening yeah i can see how this is playing that out. is what's that, happening the first trip that's exactly what happened i did row i've had i'm gonna get there we're gonna have a big summer what hey the school what school gets school out school gets this, out he says he's gonna get this summer i'll be we'll see. We'll more see. on the oars but um so jim i when we started this podcast, I don't know. I never envisioned being able to have a, a guest of your magnitude on. And, and you said this <laughs> earlier. You said this earlier in the podcast. Uh, the cool thing that we've experienced with it is cool thing that it we've experienced really with cool. doing this podcast is it's got us introduced to and talking to some amazing people. And the, the fly fishing community is just a cool. I mean, I mean, you know, there's there's some. I'm sure you've run into some interesting people before, but for the most part, the people that we run in are extremely genuine and extremely, uh, they want to see everybody succeed. Um, and, uh, so it's just been really cool to get to connect with all the different types of people that we've got to meet through this, through this sport that we've kind of come to love. Yeah. But I thought of someone, somebody of your magnitude, I wanted to ask you this question because I don't think, I don't know if we'll ever have anybody better to answer this question than Jim. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll keep growing. I don't know. We're still young, but where, where do you see the future of, of what we all love to do? Um, I know the pandemic in our area really changed fly fishing a lot. Uh, our, our rivers to some degree got more crowded. Everybody tried it there for a little while. Um, you may have seen that too through, through you guys, but what do you see as sort of the future of fly fishing 
And I know right now we're in this Instagram craze. We kind of see that sometimes like, Oh, whoever can post the best fish. And I love what we're talking about tonight. Hey, it's really about your friends and your family and your colleagues and who you hang out with. And that's what this is. We just did an episode, um, our why episode on why we do this podcast. And it's been really great for me and Caleb. It's, it's got us closer together as brothers. Um, we talk about all the time how there's a lot of people that don't have the relationship we do as brothers. We're four years apart and we live, I live one road over and he, you know, we're right here together. And now we've got this relationship. So that's what's been cool for flashing for us. But where do you see the future going? Like, what do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and it's, it's a question I ask myself a lot and it's something that I think our industry is talking about more and more, which we need to, um, because the growth of fly fishing is, is a blessing and a curse, right? It, it, the, the sport and the business, both. Um, and, you know, I, as anglers, we tend to be inherently selfish about the places that we get a fish, right? You know, you find a spot and oftentimes it's hard earned and you paid your dues and you put your time in and you discovered something that is pretty special and, and you love that. And, and you, and you, you know, it's kind of natural to want to keep that to yourself and not have a spot where you go and there's going to be other people there. And, and especially when you've, you've put your time in to find it, the, the pandemic definitely propelled the, the sport and the industry to you know a, a level that we haven't really seen probably since the early 90s when a lot of people got into fly fishing because of the the first big movie um and everywhere you went in the last two years certainly here in montana i'm sure in north carolina um the rivers were were crowded a lot of people were out there and it brought a lot of new people into the sport of fishing and it also brought a lot of people back to fishing that maybe as young kids or young people, they had, had fished with their dad or grandfather or their parents or friends and they were relapsed anglers and they found their way back and they rediscovered what they loved about being on the water and about fishing. And those are all great things. Now, on one hand, it leads to more crowds and more pressure on the resources. So that's a challenge, but I've always been in the mindset. And again, this is something we, we talk about a lot because we do, we send thousands of anglers out, all over the country and all over the world every year. Um, and in a lot of these places, you know, that fly fishing economy is a huge driver for those local economies, right? It's a big thing. I mean, it changes communities. It provides jobs. It, it protects resources. Um, so that, those are the positives. The other positive is that, you know, as, as anglers, we rely on resources that are very fragile, whether, you know, clean water being the, the first, um, you know, Political issues like access, that's a big one, right? Um, all of these things are constantly under threat from outside interests, whether it's extractive resources like mining, timber, development, um, whether it is, um, you know, private access, you know, private land, private property issues that, you know, seem to butt heads with access, public access issues, something we deal with a lot here in Montana. Um, and the, the path forward and solutions that benefit anglers can only be found through participation. Um, people speak up for and they fight for and they advocate for what they care about. And if they're involved anglers, if fly fishing or fishing or outdoor recreation, if that matters to them, then that becomes a driving factor in the way they vote and how they speak up, the issues they support, the organizations they support. You know, the fact is, is that you know, people are going to to fight for and advocate for what they care about. And when we get frustrated and you go to a boat ramp or you go to your favorite stream and you see anglers out there, remember that these are people that, you know, are going to you know help protect 
what it is we all care about. And, and you have to realize that without active stakeholders and advocates that we really, as, as anglers and people that care about clean water and access and the resources that we all love and depend on as anglers, we have no chance against, you know, big corporations and industry and development and really, you know, highfalutin lawyers, like we're going to get steamrolled every time. And so that's where you need a collective voice. And, and that really is what is going to be the, the savior of this sport. And, and back to your question of where do I see this going in the future? More and more people are, are going to put more and more pressure on these resources. Um, we need sound fisheries management. We need uh, politicians and, and policymakers that listen to their constituents. And if their constituents care about outdoor recreation, clean water access, these kinds of things, then that needs to, you know, that needs to be a factor. And, and the only way it's a factor is if there's people that, that care about it and participate and love it. So, you know, it's, there's pros and cons. More people on one hand, but also a stronger collective voice on the other hand that will continue to protect the places we love for the future. Awesome. Well, this has been outstanding. Uh, we could talk to Jim for hours, but we didn't want to end an episode of dads on the fly without letting Jim give us, I don't think, I mean, he's a dad and he's a fisherman of so many different fish species and countries and everything he does. So we could do this two ways. One, just kind of your, we always do a dad tip of the week on our show. We kind of like to do a dad tip. So what can you say is just being a father and then also maybe just, Hey, you've, you've said, make sure you go places. The kids are going to catch fish, but maybe a dad tip also of just like, Hey, this is what you do when you take kids fishing. I know those are two different things, but if you could just maybe hit on those and we'll wrap this bad boy up and let Caleb get to bed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think the, the biggest challenge that, that we have as, as fathers in this day and age and raising kids is, is screen time. I mean, we did, you know, I didn't grow up with that. Um, my parents never had to deal with it, but it is such a, an incredibly challenging time to be raising kids right now with social media and the constant focus on screens. And it's, it's an addiction. You know, even if you do everything right as a parent, kids are going to be dealing with more screen time than we ever possibly imagined, whether it's at school, whether it's, you know, picking up the iPad. Um, you know, my my oldest is is 15. She just got her first phone. My boys who are younger still don't have them. We're, we're trying to fight that battle, but it's just a part of connectivity for kids these days. It's part of their, their social engagement. So it's a challenge. But I think the biggest tip is, is you know, find opportunities and events and activities. And certainly if you're traveling destinations where you can eliminate the screens for, for periods of time, you know, if you're going out camping or on the water or fishing, make it a no screen time. You know, they might have their own phone. They might have an iPad. They don't, they don't come along ever. You know, you dad might have one in his, his vest or his, his hip back so we can get some pictures, right, of, of the kids. But um, I, I think that's the, the biggest challenge we have as, as parents these days. And it's the biggest reason to really, you know, introduce your kids to the outdoors and make it a, a regular part of their lives because they need to equate that with a, a you know, a the ability to disconnect from everything they're surrounded with, with their friends and their social network and school and all of that with screens, make their outdoor activities and especially their fishing um, screen-free environments so that one, 
they realize they don't need to constantly be looking at an app or, or staring at a screen in their hand in order to get some sort of, of fulfillment or, or satisfaction that they can find that in other ways. And that's really the outdoors. And, you know, that's another challenge we have moving forward as an industry and certainly as a sport is, you know, we need more young people involved. That's always, always been important to perpetuating and protecting the things we love. And, you know, if we don't teach our kids, you know, why we love fishing and get them to love it as well and, and get them out on the water, then we're going to have big challenges down the road because then, then we lose our future stakeholders. So, you know, I think my biggest tip is, is establish parameters and, and activities that can be screen-free activities. That's so important these days and it's getting more challenging all the time. And no we're doubt. guilty uh, just as, I don't know, our, even our, our age, Caleb's a little younger than me, but, but even like, you just taught through a pandemic and we taught and we were on screens all the time, you know, and it was almost like in some ways we made it worse yeah. and then it, it did some good things. I mean, it allows us to connect with people like you in Montana, which is awesome. Um, but it has done some things of where we do get to a point of even as adults, sometimes we get so used to that. Yeah. Hey, I got to check this email right there or that text message or whatever. So yeah, that's a great point. And you know, the, the last thing I'll say about that too, and this is, this is for kids and young people, but also for, for adults. Um, you know, social media has, has been a, a real blessing for a lot of businesses like mine, and we are certainly active on that. But, man, it, it's social media is also in a lot of ways kind of ruined a lot of these sports, right? You know, where people yeah. feel like, oh, yeah. if you don't post it, you don't have that big fish, and you're not, you know, showing somebody living the life and how great it is, then, you know, it's just not worth doing. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the social media aspect of, of fishing and outdoor recreation is something that's really going to have to be, um, you know, kind of tackled and, and I don't know if controlled is the right word, but I think it needs to be measured in the way that companies and also individuals go about it. You know, you know, that's, that's a challenge. So. Well, no, I, I mean, you make such a good point. I think, you know, social media has done some great things for, yeah. for us. Like we've gotten to meet a lot of great people, but at the same time, I mean, I think about the fact, like, if you used to want to tell fishing stories, you had to meet up with some buddies, sit down face to face and tell them your fishing story. You couldn't, right. you couldn't take a picture and post a long caption on Instagram about it and, you know, just get the same satisfaction from that, from seeing that like button hit a bunch of times. It, yeah. It's just so, it, and that's the thing I love about fishing. Like it gives us an opportunity to connect with people and, uh, and, and connect in some really special ways. And so I think, I think you just make a great point with that. So, um, yeah, folks, we didn't get a chance, Jim, to talk about your photography. It's amazing. Go, go check that out, guys. If if you're listening to this episode, um, you have some films that are out there that are that are super awesome. Unbelievable. We, we yeah, talked about more stuff than we really had time to even include those in, but all that's on your website. You can go check it out. Um, and I think I don't know if Yellow Dog so goes yeah, to that or not, but Jim, I know you can find your the, website. Go ahead and plug it. Yeah, what's the best place for people to find you right now? Yeah, well, um, yellowdogflyfishing.com is a great resource. Um, whether you're you know researching a you know a future trip or, or travel ideas or just looking for great learning resources. And and on that website, you know, we've got all the links to you know a lot of video and, and uh, content, confluence films is a project we've had over the years and made a number of different fly fishing movies. Um Kluge Outdoor Photography, that's that's another platform we have. Um, there is a, a 20 years worth of, of articles and blog posts on on how to, where to, when to, just just great reading 
reading, great information that, that can help, um, you know, somebody who's getting started or, or, you know, somebody who's been at it a long time that's just looking up their game a little bit. So there's a ton of content there. And, uh, you know, we, we keep putting it out there and, and uh, trying to help people discover the great places that, that fishing can take you. Well, thanks so much, Jim. This has been wonderful. We cannot, again, we can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, this has been such a great opportunity just to sit here and learn from you. I, I, we could go on for hours. Uh, I know I could just sit and talk to you forever about all the different things fly fishing related, but um, we just really appreciate your time tonight. And uh, thanks for, thanks for taking a few moments to spend with us. Yeah, man, we can't, you bet, guys. We can't thank you enough. Just yeah, and, and Joshua and Caleb, thanks for for what you guys do. I think this is a really cool topic and, and a great you know theme for the, for the podcast that you have as far as you know being dads and and how to raise kids as as anglers and to appreciate the outdoors. So I think it's awesome what you're doing. Thank you, Jim. We can't thank you enough, man. Um, we hope to maybe one day see you somewhere with a fly rod. That'd be awesome. Sounds good, guys. All right, thanks, Jim. Man, Caleb, I just can't believe that Mr. Jim Klug took that time for us. Can't be any more grateful and thankful for a guy who has such a busy schedule. And, you know, man, it's just I, uh, I sent an email, didn't know if he'd respond. But lately, that's been going good for me to get guests. And uh, this is by far the, the coolest guest we've had from the fly fishing world. Now, I know we've had our wives on this, so not the coolest guest ever. But from the fly fishing world... By far, what he had to say tonight was just awesome. We have had so many amazing guests, and thanks to all those guests who have continued to come on the podcast with us. But this is definitely a guy who's um, probably the most renowned in the fly fishing world that we've had the opportunity to interview. And I just think – I still can't believe where this podcast journey is taking us, the opportunity to get to meet so many amazing people. And and Jim said this in the pod. You know, I think the thing that is – getting people to want to connect with this podcast is what we are about. And we are about being dads on the fly, um, doing the best we can as we navigate fly fishing and fatherhood and our faith. And so I am just so grateful again for him taking the time to be able to do this. I just thought the last 10 minutes of that interview where he talked about uh, all the different challenges facing the fly fishing industry, some of the challenges that we face as dads, it it was just pure gold. And I will definitely be going back and listening to it again, just to continue to learn from some of the amazing things that he said in this interview. Here's what I want to get at. The Jim has caught a fish or fish in over 50 daggum countries. You got me. And yet he felt, just like a dude you would hang out with, like completely in North Carolina. Genuine, he was so genuine, so genuine, to what so we humble. About. Yes, so humble in the way he talked about his business, how they do it the right way. They really take care of the client. Uh, I can tell you, man, if 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 we get the money saved up to go on a, a saltwater trip, we're gonna we're gonna be using Yellow Dog, no question For about sure. it. And just the way he attention to detail, but just how cool he was to talk to us, man, and, and appreciate what we were doing. From somebody like him, I, I was just such a genuine guy. Absolutely. Uh, that's what really stood out to me. And he had great dad points. And, you know, his kids are young like ours. And it was awesome. And you should go listen to his podcast because he tells some cool stories on that, too, about all these different places in the world he fishes. And that's what makes you think, wow, this guy's doing all this all the time. And yet he sits down and says, yeah, you know, sometimes we just go around the corner and, you know, fish right here in Montana. And I get to hang out with my kids. And, and that's what we try to do here in North Carolina. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just Super think pumped. 
again, so cool to be able to talk to him. And the thing that just continues to amaze me about the fly fishing community is how genuine most of the people are. Yes, we know there are some people that are elitist and but we're not meeting but them. we're not meeting them we're getting to get, get to talk to some great people and so just encouraging all you dads out there that are continuing doing the dad on the fly thing uh the fly fishing community is a great place to belong it's a great place to connect so keep connecting with other fly fishers because you never know what you might learn and you never know where it might take you and speaking of that community folks if you listen to this the day it drops or this week there's a possibility depending on what day you listen to it this week, that we will be connecting with members of this fly fishing community. We are going out west to meet our man, Brian, who is the owner uh, of River Rat USA, made the raft we, we ended up purchasing. And uh, we're going to be spending two days fishing with Brian, and we, we just can't wait. Some other guys are going to be out there. We don't want to throw those names out there yet. We've got to do some episodes with some of them, and uh, we're pumped. So I would say this, if you're listening this week, Pay attention to the Dads on the Fly. Dads social, on the Fly Instagram feed is going media to be feeds quite this week. interesting. You may, I mean, this, I mean, cable TV may not be able to hang with what <laughs> may just happen this week with uh, with us, me and you in an airport together. You know, we've never done this. We have never flown together. No, we've never been anywhere, just us. Think about it. Like, just me well, and Well, we you. have as kids, but but not, yeah, but not, not, not just since me we've been adults. As yeah. adults. That's very true. I mean, this is this could go all kinds of ways. So I'm really looking forward to it. I hope I still enjoy hanging out with you when we're done. I'm just oh, you'll, it's going to be a good time. Out with me, Let's <laughs> it just is going to be a blast. We, uh, hope we know, don't get into too much trouble. That's, that's the plan. That's the ticket. So, again, thanks, everyone, for listening. We're excited about some more guests coming our way and some amazing interviews while we are out west. And we can't wait to share our story about that. And don't forget, if you want to come hang out with us April 7th at Bearwaters Brewing in Canton, North Carolina. If you're in Western North Carolina, we'd love to meet you as we have just a fly tying hangout. We're going to hang out and tie some flies together and just enjoy being a part of this fly fishing community. So we'd love to see you then. Yeah, if nothing else, you can come make fun of me trying to tie flies. It is always a good time and I enjoy doing it and I think you will find joining it as well. It'll be fun. All right, guys. So thanks for hanging out with us today and for listening to episode 32 of Dads on the Fly. And until next time, tight lines. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dads on the Fly. We hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through the fishing and parenting life on the fly. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dads on the Fly and shoot us a message as we always love to hear from you. If you are interested in needing Dads on the Fly merchandise, you can find it there as well. Send us a message and we'd be happy to supply you with stickers or t-shirts. If you found this podcast helpful or entertaining, please leave a review on Apple Podcast. Until next time tight lines.